If you would, turn the Bible to Revelation chapter 21. Last week we looked at the great white throne at the end of chapter 20, and today we begin chapter 21 as we look at the new heaven and the new earth. What a great study for us this morning, as it certainly is a good thing for us to think about heaven. Heaven is a real place. Real people go there. It is absolutely to be the destination that we long for. And not only that, it should be what we are centering our lives on now, that the God of heaven is a real God that can become our Father and make us fit for heaven. There are a lot of people out there that don't believe in heaven, and there are also a lot of people out there that don't believe in God. And so if you get into it, there are arguments for the existence of God. There's some really good ones Well, we believe in God, I I believe in God, and so I don't need to be convinced any longer. But one of the arguments for the existence of God that I like is the argument of goodness. That the idea of something being good or altogether good or completely good or perfect or absolutely perfect points us to God. That has to come from somewhere. Listen to this definition. For by definition, God is a being worthy of worship. And only a being which is perfectly good would be worthy of worship. And as the greatest conceivable being, God must be morally perfect. Since it is better to be morally perfect than morally flawed. When you start thinking like that, it will get you to think about goodness. Recognizing good as opposed to bad. Longing for more and more goodness will ultimately get you to see that there must be one that is ultimately good. Now, if all you do is experience bad and think about bad and you're uh, distracted at how bad life is and how negative the world is, which we totally understand, that is a very real distraction in all of our lives. There is so much discouragement these days. You may not be thinking about the one that is ultimately good. You may not see much good. But thinking about good, and therefore thinking about the one who is ultimately good, will get you not only thinking about God, could he be real, but coming to believe that there must be one that is the source of all good. C.S. Lewis, speaking about this, says, Christianity seems at first to be all about morality, all about duties and rules and guilt and virtue. Yet it leads you on, out of all that, into something beyond. One has a glimpse of a country where they do not talk about those things except perhaps as a joke. Everyone there is filled full with what we should call goodness as a mirror is filled with light. But they do not call it goodness. They do not call it anything. They are not thinking of it. They are too busy looking at the source from which it, the goodness, comes. As we reflect upon good and goodness, it will move us toward the one who is ultimately good. In this same thought comes heaven. Heaven is a place where it's all good. 
Heaven is a place where there is all peace. There is no more sin. There is no more evil that has been overcome and dealt with. And God is going to set up once and forever the kingdom of heaven. We look forward to that place. We look forward to that day. Our passage this morning, Revelation 21, in the first eight verses introduces it. Now, well beyond verse 8, as we continue into the rest of 21 and into 22, we get more and more detail, more information about heaven and the future. But Today, we will look at the first eight verses as it is introduced. Read with me, Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur which is the second death. This is the end of the Bible. Only a few pages, verses left. And yet it is a picture of the pure goodness of the God of heaven and the heaven he has to set up for all those who trust in him. From these verses, I want to give us four observations about heaven. Four observations about heaven coming out of this passage. Number one, heaven will be a new heaven. Okay, Heaven will be a new heaven. This is something that you need, you need to see, you need to recognize, and you need to hear. A lot of people miss this when they're thinking about heaven and studying the Bible. Verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. The Bible seems to be teaching us here that heaven and earth will be gone. They are flawed in this sinful, fallen world, and God will set up a new one. There's a common common phrase in the scriptures of God saying that he's going to make all things new. If you jump down to verse 5, you see him say that. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. God being the redeeming God that he is, fulfilling his plan in the world, what God is going to do is he's going to bring everything back 
to the way he wanted it to be. He's doing it through the redemption that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the end, when sin and evil are done away with, the devil is sent to hell. God will set up the new heaven. The Bible has been telling about this for a while. You don't have to turn with me, but I want to share some verses with you. The first one is Isaiah 65. (coughs) No, will you get me a water, please? (coughs) The first one is Isaiah 65. Verse 17, listen to this. (coughs) For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Now, again, I'm telling you that this has not been emphasized that much in teaching, but we see it here in Revelation. It's going to be a new heaven, and now I'm showing you references from the Old Testament and from the New Testament where that's always been the case. If you turn over to chapter 66 of Isaiah, verse 22, For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. There we have him again talking about the new heavens and the new earth. If you turn over to the New Testament, Luke chapter 21. Verse 33, these are the words of Jesus. Heaven and earth will, 2133, thank you. 2133, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That's a passage that you've heard many times before. We read that, we quote that passage. But almost always when we're quoting that passage, we're doing it to emphasize the eternality of the word of God. And so when we hear that, we think, oh, man, the word's important, the word's big, we got to be about the word, right? And we kind of don't put as much tension to him saying that heaven and earth are going to pass away. But that's what he's doing. Says it there. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. Notice this, Noah, this had already been opened. All right. 2 Peter 3. This is Peter writing in his letter, speaking about the same thing. Notice how detailed this passage is. 2 Peter 3, starting in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. People haven't read that passage. They have not focused on God saying this. Peter talking about the promise that God's going to bring a new heaven and a new earth. He's not talking about the promise from Revelation. It had not come yet. 
Peter is reflecting upon God's message of old, from the Old Testament, from the Gospels, from the life of Jesus, that there's coming a new heaven. Now, this is important because this emphasizes the whole redemption plan that God is doing. When did things start needing to be made new? When they went bad. And ever since the beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, the world has fallen into sinfulness. The world is under a curse. And so for most of history, people have been longing for things to be better. People have been longing for things to be different in the way they are. I bet everybody in the room at some time or another has thought, why? Why, God? Why has it got to be this way? Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's a disease. Maybe it's times where we've messed up. But all of us have felt like, I wish things were different, other, bigger, better. We felt that. That's because of the fallen nature that we're in in the world of sinfulness and living for things other than God. It's the effect of the fall into sin. And so the one thing that God has been doing, it's been a common theme throughout all of history, is leading the world to the place of total redemption. But the way we would get to total redemption is not just God changing and making things new and better, is God doing it where his son Jesus gets all the glory, where Christ is the one that's worshipped. And so the plan of history is for Jesus to come, be the answer to the world, die on the cross for our sins, be buried, rise again, show the world that he's conquered that, ascend up into heaven, and then one day come back. And when he comes back, he will set up the new heaven and it will all be final and dealt with. There is a connection. There is a connection to God making all things new, to the redeeming work, the saving work, the salvation plan that Jesus offers. In the passage that Matt read earlier from Colossians 1, which we've been studying in multiple Bible studies here in our church, we hear this, Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, starting in verse 19, For in him, that's Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him... To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In Colossians 1, you have the same language as this Revelation 21 about heaven. Reconciling all things, in heaven or on earth. Making all things new. Fixing it all. Getting rid of evil and celebrating good where Jesus is the centerpiece being worshipped. That's Revelation 21, and that's also Colossians 1. How's he doing it in Colossians 1? Making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of the whole world, is the centerpiece of heaven. So when we get to Revelation 21 at the end and we hear him saying, I'm making all things new, it's not just like we got a new manager, he's going to change things up. It's not a new principal of the school who's going to give it new vision and just make things better. It's this God fulfilling all that he's trying to do in the world through Christ his Savior and in the end in heaven We need to know that it will be a new heaven. In verse 6, 
we hear him say, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. This big picture of God and the way that God describes himself as the, as the Alpha and the Omega reminds us that God is the one who starts it and God is the one who finishes it. Listen to this quote from R.C. Sproul. God is the Alpha, the creator whose purposes were expressed from the beginning. But God is also the Omega, the consummator who brings his purposes to final realization. He's the Alpha and the Omega. In the beginning, we know what his purposes are. In the end, we see him able to accomplish and bring final his purposes. Number one, heaven will be a new heaven. We look forward to heaven being a place where the total redemption of everything centered on Jesus is final and clear. Make no mistake about it. Heaven is about Christ reigning. The new heaven reminds us that. Number two, heaven will be God with his people. Heaven will be God with his people. Look back to Revelation 21, verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is a picture, isn't it? I don't know when the last time was you went to a wedding, but one of the most meaningful, heartfelt, emotional, special times in life is when the door opens up and the groom's standing right here And the bride starts coming. That is really awesome. It's awesome when everybody sees it. There are people in the crowd that will be teary-eyed. There's people that have watched that little girl grow up since she was little. There are people that have invested in her. People are so proud. But it's just so special. But you know who it is most special for? That man that's standing right there. Who's been waiting his whole life for the one. Who's been waiting his whole life for the one that he could commit to and unite to and spend the rest of his life with. When a bride comes to her groom, it's special. You've been there before, you've seen it. Oftentimes at a wedding, as I'm standing there before the groom, the groom just starts crying. He can't contain himself. He's crying, he's emotional, he can't believe it. He thinks that woman's the most beautiful woman he's ever seen in his life. He's so excited to unite with her and to make these vows before everybody. You will often hear people say, that was the best day of our lives. A lot goes into it. This is the idea that God uses here. That in the end, at the judgment, after the judgment, as God starts to set up heaven, he describes it. As a bride adorned for her husband, coming down out of heaven. And then he says this. Look at verse 3. I heard with a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. 
And God himself will be with them as their God. What an incredible truth. I don't know how deep religion has taken you. I don't know how committed you feel in your faith or in your Christianity or in your church involvement. But you need not miss this little point. It's so much more important than my first point, that heaven is a new heaven. The second point is that heaven will be God with his people. While God is this big, all-powerful, all-knowing deity, the one true and living God, God Almighty, that is true. He created everything by the word of his power. He holds all things together by his strength. He is a big God, but he is also a personal God. And the Bible teaches through and through, every step of the way, climaxing here at the end of the Bible, that he is a personal God that you can have a relationship with and a father in heaven. And notice here the emphasis of with. With. Three times we see with in verse 3. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. May you be encouraged today that your faith is not to be something far off. It's not as C.S. Lewis said where at first it seems all about morality of duties and rules and guilt and virtue. May it not be that. May it be God with you. Your faith in Jesus Christ as the one who loves you and gave himself for you. The one who walks with you and talks with you. The one who is with you always, even until the end. The one who is a very present help in trouble, who will never leave you or forsake you. The one who has been, his love has been poured into your hearts. The Holy Spirit living inside of you. May you have a relationship with God. And will you see that that is exactly what the emphasis of heaven is about. Do you remember at Christmas time during the Advent season where we talk about all the different names of God and there is that one he will be called Emmanuel? We get the word Emmanuel from the book of Isaiah. It's picked up again in the gospel of Matthew, Emmanuel. And every time in your Bible, in Matthew 1, when you read Emmanuel, it says, which means God with us. Do not let your religion, your church life, your faith, your spiritual life sound like something like the man upstairs or the good Lord above or something very distant. May you recognize that the very thing that God is doing in the world is he's coming into the lives of people. He's changing people from the inside out. He's taking up residence by by the way of the Holy Spirit of being with you. And may you know that heaven is all about that. God is going to be with us. It's an incredible scene, verse 3 is. Heaven will be God with his people. This is one of the ways why we've got to be careful with just wanting heaven to be what we want it to be. This is the way, this is where we've got to be careful with just wanting heaven to be uh, all things good as we expect things to be all things good. You know, there's a lot of people that want there to be pets in heaven, and I, I get that, I like that. There's also a lot of people that are allergic to pets. So, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But the point of heaven is that God will be with us. And we've got to make sure that we know that very thing. Now, here's another thing about heaven in case that upset you. There are no disappointments in heaven. That's a later point, okay? There are no disappointments in heaven. 
that ought to encourage you greatly. Everything that you're kind of worried about with heaven, there will be no disappointments. No disappointments there. There will be no letdowns. You will, for the first time in your life, say, everything is going exactly the way I wish it would go. Because we live so much with disappointments. In heaven, there won't be disappointments. We will have God with us. It will satisfy us like we've never been satisfied before. He will be the treasure that our hearts have longed for. Heaven will be God with his people. Make sure that you think about heaven that way. I'm going to be with God. You know, the joke is, is will we have football there? Will we eat pizza or ice cream there? You know, people talk like that. I'm okay for any speculation. Just make sure it's according to the Bible. But way more importantly than that, heaven is about God. If you're not about God now, then you're not going to go to heaven and be about God then. Sometimes that sounds kind of shocking or, or, or causes you to, to push back. But if you've had nothing to do with God and don't want anything to do with God, then I, I don't see how you end up in heaven if heaven's all about God, if God is going to be with his people. This simple logic causes us to restructure and reorganize and reprioritize our lives to say, man, I want my life to be all about God. I want to go to heaven, and heaven is God being with his people So I need to be all about God now. Number two, heaven will be God with his people. Number three, heaven will have no suffering. This is the one you've heard before. It's emphasized a lot. And it's what the Bible teaches. Look at verse 4. Revelation 21, verse 4. In heaven, in the new heaven, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. A little bit later in verse 4, he says there will be no crying. Think about that. There are a lot of tears shed these days. A lot of tears shed. I've seen people crying recently at a funeral. I've seen people crying recently at a basketball game. I've seen people crying recently because they fell down and got hurt. I've seen people crying recently because their life is missing some people. There are a lot of tears shed, aren't there? And all the things that hurt us to bring about tears will be overcome. It will not be painful anymore. And so there will not be any crying there. Wipe away every tear from their eyes. Notice what he says next in verse 4. And death shall be no more. Man, death sure does mess up life, doesn't it? Both for the individual and for all those around it. Death is a full stop to life, as you know. And when you die, that's the end of life on this earth, as you know it. But when people die, it seems to affect so much. And we've all dealt with death. We've lost loved ones. Lost family members. We've lost friends. We've lost community members. We miss them, don't we? I miss Coach Harden. Our men's basketball league is about to start up. We, we, first game's like February 20th, and somebody asked me this morning if I was going to play this year because I've gotten hurt the last two years. I said, I don't know, but I might take Coach Harden's place as the heckler in the bleachers. 
You know, death does that to you, doesn't it? It makes you feel. It makes you feel things. It'll make you feel things that you've not felt before. It'll make you think things that you've not thought about. It'll push you in directions that you've been trying so hard to avoid. What a beautiful thing it is that there will not be death in heaven. No more death. No more death. The eternal life that you get when you come to Christ will be fully realized in heaven. You will live forever with God. That ought to be a desire of your heart. That ought to be a comfort now that that comfort is coming. The Bible teaches, though, that when you trust in Christ, you get eternal life. It's just fully realized in heaven. You may have to die the first death here before you live forever without the second death. The first death is just the physical death of dying on earth. The second death is the judgment where you're sent to hell. But heaven will have no suffering. He'll wipe away the tears. There'll be no more death there. And neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. There'll be no suffering there. You know, there's a lot of suffering now, isn't there? There's a lot of suffering now. There's so much suffering in our world that, that, that there are a lot of people today living with so much suffering that they can't even imagine a life without suffering. It's just the norm for them. They live with pain always. They live with guilt always. They live with shame always. They live with tension and friction always. They live with hurt. They live with embarrassment. They live with letdown. They live with gaps in their lives. There's just so much suffering in our world, and, and that breaks our heart. But God would have us to understand that that should push us toward the God of heaven who is promising us that there is coming a day of no more suffering. Do you remember when they were dealing with Jesus? It's like chapter 16 of John. They're dealing with Jesus and they're always saying, there's no way you're really God. There's no way you're really the king, right? You don't look like a king. Things don't seem like a kingdom here. And John has like chapter after chapter after chapter of them arguing with Jesus. How are you God and how are you king and how is this all it's supposed to be? And Jesus gives that incredible statement from John chapter 16 when he says, my kingdom is not of this world. See, you can be in the kingdom with the king, recognizing this ain't fully it. I can't wait to get to heaven. And that day's coming soon. That's like the old song that says, soon and very soon, I'm going. You know that song, soon and very soon. Part of living in this life with hope and faith is recognizing it ain't all good yet. We're not all the way there yet. God's got me, but I long for heaven. Being a Christian says, I look forward to the day where all the comfort of God is fully realized in my life, partly by him removing all suffering. That day is coming. In Hebrews chapter 11, when we get this hall of faith, this hall of fame of the faithful, we get verse after verse in Hebrews 11 of good examples for us, for people from the Bible who lived by faith. We get good examples for us of people in the Bible, of people who lived by faith. The first thing that you recognize in Hebrews 11 is that they were not the best examples for us. They were sinful people. They were flawed people. They, too, lived in this fallen world. They, too, lived with the disappointment of life and personal sins. They, too, knew what it was like to suffer in this world. So in Hebrews chapter 11... 
When you get to verse 13, listen to what it says. Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. Now listen to verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You know what Hebrews 11 is saying? That the people in the book of Hebrews that are an example to us of being faithful, that the reason why, partly the reason why, that they lived by such faith It's because they were set on this not being their home. Heaven is their home. A better country, a better place, a better city that they're looking forward to. They did not look back. They did not aim to return to it. They were longing for heaven. The way we walk by faith is recognizing in this world we will have trouble. In this world there will be struggle. There will be suffering. But Christ has overcome this world. And when we hope in him, we have eternal life. And we will one day be with him forever in heaven. And that heaven will have no suffering. Now seems to be a great time to talk a little bit more about suffering. We need to recognize that there are varying degrees of suffering in our world. Some of the things that we call suffering are quite small. If you'll just go to sleep or you'll just take a Tylenol, that suffering will go away. Even that, though, longs for the day where you won't be so tired or you won't have headaches or you won't have aches and pains. But may we be aware that there is much, much, much bigger suffering. There is persecution in the world. There are people that are being abused. There are people that are being treated wrongly. There are families that are so divided that people are beat down and cursed and suffering greatly. We need to allow suffering to help us see this ain't right. We need to allow suffering to help us see this isn't good. This isn't how it should be. It's not supposed to be like this. And allow our thoughts to aim toward goodness, better goodness, more full goodness. For things to be the way they should be. Every time you experience suffering or you witness suffering or you observe suffering, your heart by faith in Christ should say, it's not going to be that way forever, just a little bit longer. As Christians, we got to learn to comfort ourselves in that. See, there's a false comfort out there. Listen to me, I'll be careful. There's a false comfort out there that says, Just stick with it. Things will get better. And while we hope they do, and while it may be true sometimes, this too shall pass. You've all heard your mom say that before, right? This too shall pass. The truth is, that's not true. Sometimes suffering here 
will take you to the end. Sometimes suffering here will kill you. Sometimes suffering here never ends. Sometimes suffering here just gets darker and darker and uglier and uglier and worse and worse. And the only answer to that is not, it's going to get better. It's not, hey, see the good in it. Hey, pick your head. It's not. That's so weak and shallow for people that are truly suffering. A believer in a third world country that is going to be killed for their faith. Better not be told by one of us shallow people, just pick your head up, things will get better. This too shall pass. Believers are comforted that in heaven there is no more suffering. Believers are comforted that one day soon God will put an end to all suffering. God makes clear that in heaven there will be no suffering. After he says all that in verse 4, no more tears, no more crying, no more death, no more mourning, no more pain. All of this has passed away. We get that huge declaration in verse 5. Behold, I am making all things new. God will be the one to make sure there is no more suffering. If you are here today suffering in any degree, would you turn fully to Christ? Would you believe in him and say, God... I'm going to trust in your love for me until you get me to heaven. Would you trust in Christ and hold on tight and say, God, I'm going to trust in your love for me until you get me to heaven where there's no more suffering. God, I will suffer by faith. I will believe in you and trust in your love for me even through this pain, even through these tears, and I will believe that one day soon you'll take away the pain and the tears. Because he will. These promises are given to us that we would believe them and long for a better country, long for heaven, like Hebrews 11 says. Number one, heaven will be a new heaven. Number two, heaven will be God with his people. Number three, heaven will have no suffering. And number four, finally, heaven will have no unforgiven sinners. This awesome passage about heaven turned really heavy, didn't it, as we got to verse eight. Look with me at verse six. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Thirsty is a good description of people who are longing for God. Thirsty is a good description for people who are longing for things to be right and the way they should be and things to be better. But that thirst is only answered by Jesus, not answered by goodness. It's not answered by things getting better. It's not answered by our problems being fixed. It's answered by Christ being the one who died in our place. Verse 7 says, the one who conquers, good word right there, conquers. Is it no easy way? Is it in some easy life? Is it in some easy world? Christianity's not an easy fix. There's no fake hope here and no prosperity gospel here that tells us that things are going to get better. We need a big word like conquers. Get me through this life, this pain, this suffering. Get me to heaven, and God will. The one who conquers will have this heritage. What a statement. I will be his God, and he will be my son. May that be your story. May that be your testimony. In all the pain and suffering, in all the difficulty that this life brings to you, may you say, that's my God, and I'm his child. I'm his son, I'm his daughter. He is mine, and I am his. And the victory came through the work of Christ. There is victory in Jesus, and we get the word conquering here. 
But after it says all of that, we get this heavy verse, 8, where we get a list. It says, but, so seven verses about heaven. But then verse 8 reminds us that not everybody will be in heaven. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. God here reminding us that not everybody goes to heaven. I hope for sure that nobody in here reads that passage and goes, whew, that's not me, I'm a good person and I'm not any of verse 8, so I'm going to heaven based off of my goodness. I hope that's not you today. All of us are guilty of sin. James chapter 2 says that if you break God's law in even one single point, you are guilty of all of it. Don't think today that you're fit for heaven based off of your goodness We said this last week, make sure that you know you're fit for heaven based off of Christ's goodness. This list here is used, though, to show us of how lives can be characterized. The best way to judge yourself and get a good grip is not to compare yourself to others. You've heard this before. We can always find somebody who's got a worse mouth than us to say, mine's not that bad. We can always find somebody that's got a worse character than us to say, I'm not that bad. Man, he's so lazy, I look like a worker, you know. You can always look around and find somebody to worse you. That's not the way to do it. Don't ever do that. The standard is Christ and Christ's holy word. That's the standard. The only measuring rod for us, the only plumb line for us is Jesus, and he's altogether good. We compare ourselves to him. We see ourselves falling short of the glory of God in need of a Savior utterly and totally dependent upon God. This passage reminds us that heaven will have no unforgiven sinners. The reason why I've said it like that is because we're all sinners. It's not like people that go to heaven are those that don't sin. You got sinners and you got forgiven sinners and unforgiven sinners. So you have to see which one you are. There will be forgiven sinners in heaven. We're sinners. And if we're forgiven of our sins, we will go to heaven. This is the glory of the gospel. Jesus died for sinners so that God could rightly, justly forgive sin. Forgive sinners. But for everyone that does not repent and turn to Jesus for forgiveness, then they won't be forgiven. Without the shedding of blood that Christ shed on the cross, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without a faith in him and a turning away from your sin to trust in Christ, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so, if you're not forgiven of your sins, then you find yourselves identifying with verse 8 more than the first seven verses. The list of people and the characteristics of their lives that keep people out of heaven. If you're forgiven of your sins through Christ, You will go to heaven. These beautiful characteristics of no suffering. You will be with God. The new heaven, eternal life. If you're not forgiven of your sins, then you will not go to heaven. You will be thrown into this hell with the devil. This isn't the only place that the Bible gives us these lists. There are several of them. One that's real familiar is 1 Corinthians 6. 
In the list in 1 Corinthians 6, same thing. He says, don't you know that those that do such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? He says that. People that do these things will not go to heaven. And he gives another list in 1 Corinthians 6. Similar to this one. All of these bad and evil things that nobody thinks are good. Everybody agrees. Even the biggest atheists in the world think that these things here are bad. But you know what it says in 1 Corinthians 6? It's so helpful. At the end of that list, like this one, he says, and such were some of us until God saved us, until God forgave us. Church, we are not a church of people that read this verse 8 here and go, man, I'm glad that we're all the good ones and we're not the verse 8. And that world out there is full of all of verse 8. That's not us. We're the people in here recognizing that we fit right into verse 8. We fit right into 1 Corinthians 6. Y'all, this room right now is full of people who have worshipped other things, have been sexually immoral or murdered in our hearts as Jesus described it as being angry. Or the the big list, or the big one in the list is the last one in verse 8, liars. You may have hoped he left it at cowardly, faithless, and detestable, and murderers. You thought, man, that's not me. But down here he's got liars. It's like, man, in other words, you've got to be forgiven to get into heaven. But the beauty of God and his gospel is that he does forgive. For God so loved the world that he sent Christ to die for us so that we could be forgiven. And the last song that we sang, the chorus said, Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. You might be that lying, detestable coward. You might be faithless as can be. You might have walked in here today going, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Don't even know why I'm here. I don't believe it. And to which we say, hey, welcome to the party. Join the gang of a group of people that also didn't used to believe it. People that have sinned in ourselves. People who thought we could do life without God until God came and convicted us that, hey, we sin too and we need forgiveness. We're not fit for heaven like this. Heaven is God's goodness on display in every area. Heaven is all good. There's no sin there. There's no evil there. And we want to go to heaven. And so we need God to make us fit for heaven. And he will through Jesus through the forgiveness of sins and the change of heart and the redemption that he brings to our lives. Every time a big ball game comes up, I start trying to see if there's any chance I can make it. I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, and there have been times in my life where my dad or my grandparents have been able to get me some really, really, really good tickets. I got to watch Michael Jordan play the Bulls against the Hornets a few times when I was a little kid. I'll never forget that. I got to go in 2008 where North Carolina played Louisville in the Elite Eight. I got to go to that game. That was really cool. But every once in a while, I'll kind of get a little overzealous. And I'll call my dad and I'll say to him, hey, I see that this game's happening here. You think you could get us tickets? And there's been several times where my dad has said to me, man, you're crazy. That game's been sold out for months. There is no, do you know how much resale is on those tickets? There's not a chance. There's no way. People often ask me, have I ever been to a Carolina Duke game? No, never a chance. It's, it's impossible to get a ticket to that. 
And then my dad will say this. The only way you're getting into that is if you know somebody. You ever heard somebody say that? Hey, there's no tickets available. The only way you're getting into that stadium is if you happen to know somebody. You know what the revelation is teaching us? You're not getting in on your own merit. Man, it's all good there. It's a new heaven where there's no evil. It's God Almighty with his people. There is no pain, no darkness, no sin, no suffering there. You got to know somebody. You got to know the one who gave himself to forgive you. Would you turn fully to him? Would you surrender all and say, God, have me, forgive me, welcome me. I commit myself to you. And once you know Christ, you're on your way to heaven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for these observations about heaven. We thank you for revelation and how it just teaches us week after week. Thank you, dear God, that you have to know somebody to get in, and that is Jesus. God, thank you for being a God who can bring about total redemption so that you can say you are making all things new. The old and all that is wrong with it will be gone. Oh, Father, we long for that day. Work in our hearts now, we ask, according to your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we sing this final song, let's have a time of response.